In this week's parsha, in parsha Shemais, the Torah says that Vayakam Melachadosh Al Mitzrayim Asher Loyada Asyaisef. A new king arose on Egypt, and he didn't know Yaisef. He had no idea who Yaisef was. Rashi says that Asa Atzmaikilo Loyada. He made believe. He pretended that he didn't know who Yaisef was. The Yosef who saved Mitzrayim, the Yosef who brought the entire world from the brink of financial ruin to give great sustenance to the entire world, and particularly to Egypt, built up the kingdom. This power came along and pretended he just had no idea who Yosef was. And this Parai, this very grateful Parai, then said, Vayemer al-Amai says to his nation, Hein am b'nei Yisrael, rava atzmi meno, this Jewish people, they're so great, they're so strong, they're going to get so mighty, and eventually they're going to overpower us. Hava nishak and let's begin to try to come up with a plot against them, to a scheme to make sure that that doesn't happen, that we're not driven out of our own land. And with that, Pari began his terrible decrees of infanticide and, uh, and all of the Abedas Parach that we know that uh, Klai Yisrael had to experience for so many years. It seems from the the flow of the psukim here, that there's some sort of correlation between the fact that Parai forgot about Yosef and then the immediate fear that he had about the fact that perhaps Klai Yisrael was getting too strong, too numerous, too mighty, and that someday they would come and revolt and take over the land. There seems to be a correlation. Otherwise, there's no need to remind us that Yosef was forgotten about by Parai. Why is that important? Just tell us that Parai had this concern about the Jewish people rising up against him, and he made decrees against us. Why is this Pasuk so important that he didn't know who Yosef was? I think in order to answer this question, we have to look back to Parashas Miketz, a beautiful vart from Rav Shimon Schwab there. And I think if we have that vart in hand, then we're going to be able to unlock the answer to this question in this week's parsha. Going back to Parashas Miketz, Parai has these really strange, absurd dreams. He has two dreams. In one dream, he dreamt about seven skinny cows that are devouring seven very fat cows. He has another dream where seven skinny stalks of grain have consumed seven very fat stalks of grain. Now, if you or me would have such dreams, you would say, all right, listen, I don't know what it's from, but there's no need to panic. It's a silly dream. We have silly dreams all the time. Not a big deal. But Parai got so consumed by these dreams. What do they mean? What's the interpretation of this dream? And he asked all of his interpreters and all of his inner cabinet, and nobody was able to answer them. Until finally, the Saramashkim remembers Yaisei from all the years back, and he remembers, Now I remember there was a young Jewish boy with me in jail, and he was a brilliant interpreter. Perhaps we should... Bring him out of jail, and he will interpret the king's dreams. And in fact, they did that. And Yosef, of course, interpreted it in a way that was very pleasing to Parai. He was talking about the seven uh, skinny years that would follow the seven fat years, and that if we're not careful, all of the sustenance and all of the economic prosperity that we're enjoying now will be completely consumed by the seven skinny years, as symbolized by the seven skinny cows, the seven skinny stalks. And Parry was so impressed, and he saw that there was truth to this, that he, of course, appointed Yosef a Navain v'chacham kamaycha. There's no one as smart and as wise as you, Yosef. You're the, you're the czar 
over the economic success of this country. And you're going to navigate us through the terrible crisis that is upon us. And Yosef did exactly that, and Yosef saved Egypt. So if Schwab says, what exactly was so concerning about these dreams? It's a ridiculous dream. Skinny cows, I mean, it ends up being that there was great importance to it. But what was so all-consuming to power about these dreams? And Rav Schwab says a remarkable yisaid. He says that when a person has, is in a position of power, he rests on his laurels because he always assumes that my power, my arsenal, my army, my navy, my military superpower is going to always keep me safe. The big, the mighty, always are able or always should be able naturally to trounce the, the weaker. And so if you're in a position of great strength, of great power, you needn't fear the smaller players on the stage because I'm so powerful, I'm so mighty, nobody's going to mess with me, nobody could ever take me down. I'm outnumbering the world in, in jets and nuclear missiles and in artillery and tanks and uh, in jeeps and uh, weapons. No one's going to take me down. But there is a fear in every despot's mind and in every leader's mind that you never know. There's always that chance that somebody that's a little bit hungrier, even though they're not as powerfully they're not as powerful on paper, but they could take me down. I mean, you don't really need to go much further to bring a proof to this uh, than current events, what's going on in the world. Just a year ago, Putin, you would say that he is at least the second, third mightiest nation in the world, he has a vaunted army, and he's so powerful. He has all these military parades. It looks like he's the king of the world. His economy is doing well, and his people seem to be very happy. He has the largest piece of real estate in the world in Russia, and he's doing very well. And he probably went to sleep every night feeling that he's invincible. Who's starting up with him? Everybody's afraid of the Russian bear. And then he did something ridiculously brazen. I don't know if it was stupid at the time. Maybe some people thought it was smart. But he decided that he wants to take over this neighboring country, Ukraine, for whatever his cheshman was. He needs to, to occupy Ukraine. And people thought it would be a cakewalk. And he thought it would be a cakewalk. Who's going to stop him? As soon as Russia just enters the territory of Ukraine, everybody's going to be karayah The people in Ukraine are just going to be crumbled in, you know, in, uh, in just, uh, they're just going to be made that, okay, you're, you're taking us over. Russia, you can't fight against Russia. No one's able to fight against Russia. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, he starts going into, into Ukraine and he wreaks tremendous damage and destruction and devastation and a humanity crisis as we're seeing day by day and it's still existing on Ayayim, but it's been many, many months and he hasn't been able to successfully take over one little small city. And the Ukrainian army, who are also no tzaddikim in any which way, and if you know Jewish history, Ukraine is much worse than Russia throughout history, throughout the last, you know, many, since Tachvetat at least, and probably way before that. You know, Ukraine has been absolutely horrendous to Klai Yisrael. That's why it's hard to, like, get behind the world and, like, really cheer on Ukraine, but, but Ukraine is giving them a fight that he never bargained for. And this happens very often in history. American Revolution, the, the great British Empire was, uh, was faced down by a few colonists in America, and, and America won. And time and time again, there's always that nagging, gnawing thought that maybe as strong and as powerful as I am, but maybe a, a younger, hungrier adversary will be able to challenge me and win. Pare was haunted by this thought, says Rav Schwab. Pare, when he saw 
that there were seven skinny cows that were consumed by seven, that, were, that consumed seven fat cows. Seven skinny stalks of wheat consuming seven larger stalks of wheat. He says, I, they. That might portend a terrible fate for the great Egyptian country. The great empire of Egypt could be taken down by a force so skinny and so, but hungry. And so that's why he was beyond himself. How are we going to solve this problem? What's going to be? What do these dreams mean? Does it mean that somebody's going to take me down? That a weaker force is going to overcome me and, 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 and triumph over me? This is something that kept power up at night. And until Yosef came along and gave him the Rabbi Shalem's interpretation of the dream and interpreted it in a way, no, 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 this has nothing to do with your, your worries and your fears and your anxieties about being taken down by powers that seem so strong. Instead, it's talking about the economy. It's talking about good years and bad years, skinny years, consuming, uh, you know, fatter years. That's what it's all about. That's how Yosef interpreted it. As soon as Yosef interpreted it that way, power felt good. Power felt relieved. Ah, Baruch Hashem, it's not what I thought. Everything is going to be good. No one's taking me down. Everybody is fine. We just, it's an economic problem. It's a crisis. We're going to deal with it. Yosef is smart. He's going to be in charge and we're going to get through this. We're going to sail through this. Parenthetically, Rav Schwab says that that's why we always lay in Parashas Miketz, Shabbos Hanukkah. Because Shabbos Hanukkah, Hanukkah represents the Rabbim Biad Ma'atim, the ability that Klai Yisrael had to triumph over a much mightier power, the Greeks, the Syrian Greeks, the greatest force in the world, and a few Jews were able to triumph over them. Because that's really speaking to this Yisai that people fear these powers being able to take them down. Taking that Vardar of Schwab, let's plug that back into our parsha, and I think it fits beautifully. Suddenly, Parai, after all the years, whatever Yosef did for him, Parai all of a sudden gets amnesia. And he forgets all about Yosef, he forgets everything that Yosef did for him and for the Egyptian government, the Egyptian economy, how he saved Parah, he saved Egypt, he saved the world. Parah forgets everything. He forgets about Yosef. As soon as you forget about Yosef, you know what happens? All of a sudden, to use a Yeridea Lashon, it's Chayzer V'neir. All of those fears, all those anxieties that Parah had originally, before Yosef was pulled out of the pit to interpret those dreams, all of a sudden they come back to haunt him again. Klai Yisrael is going to come. They're the enemy. They're, going to be, they're, they're not as strong as us today, but someday they could overpower us. They could take us over. Meaning the fears and the anxieties that haunted Parai before Yosef, now that you're forgetting about Yosef, now that you're, you're writing Yosef out of history, you have to be careful when you do that. Because now if Yosef is gone, now those dreams are going to pop up again. Those anxieties, those fears that you had about Rabbim Biad Ma'atim, that comes back and that's happening right now. Power is automatically worried. As soon as you forget about Yosef, power is once again consumed by fear, by anxiety. What's going to be? There's Jews in our, in our land and they're going to outnumber us eventually. They're going to take us over. What are you worried about, power? You're, you're the superpower. Yeah, but power is afraid. He always was afraid. As long as Yosef was not in the picture, power is afraid of what might be. What's going to be? How am I going to be able to do this? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to, what happens if somebody is hungrier than my country and is able to take me down? It's a fear that every leader has. As long as you have Yosef, though, you're fine. But if you get rid of Yosef, if Yosef is written out and you forget about Yosef, be careful. Because now all those same fears come back again into Parah's mind. All this comes back once again to haunt Parah because he has no recollection of the, of the calm that Yosef brought into his life. I think that this Yisaid 
is something that is so relevant for you and I. So relevant. We all have a para inside of us. The Sifrei Musr say that para is really the Sahara. We all have a para inside of us, and that para is full of fears. We're full of doubts. We're always worried. I'm not saying everybody's worried, but most people go through a constant stream of anxiety. How am I going to do this? How am I going to be able to get through finals? How am I going to be able to get through, to get through school? How am I going to get into a graduate school? How am I going to be finance my family? How am I going to be able to find a wife? How am I going to be able to have children? How am I going to be able to raise my children? How am I going to be able to... And the fears as you get older, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what the Sahara likes to do. The Sahara likes to make us meshugah with fear. With the Rabbim Biyad Ma'atim, there are so many powers that are threatening us that are... We have nothing to worry about. We shouldn't naturally be worried. We have everything under control. But we have anxieties and we have fears that the power inside of us has. How do you subdue those fears? Only with a Yasef. Yasef who symbolizes bitachin. Chazal say, Ashrei mi Yasef. Yasef is the paradigm of emuna and bitachin. As long as we have Yasef inside of us, as long as we have Amuna and Bitachan as our steady companion, we're okay. We're fine. We'll be able to make it. Whatever our problems are, whatever our issues may be, and we all have issues, we all have anxieties, as long as we have Yasef inside of us and we don't forget about him, we'll be okay. But the second, if we forget about Yasef and we forget about HaKadosh Baruch, we forget about Amuna, we forget about Bitachan, and we leave it up to our own devices, or we sort of have Amuna but not enough, or we let our fears overcome our Amuna, at that point, everything is going to come back. We're going to get into panic mode and we're going to scare ourselves witless. I found this personally when I was uh, working on my, on my Sefer that just came out recently called Great Jewish Faith. So when I was researching the topic of Amunam Bitachen, and we had a vat on it two years ago, Amunam Bitachen, I was like knee-deep in the sugyas of Amunam Bitachen. I was learning the Sha'ar Bitachen, and I was learning the Chavis Havav, the, the, um, the Igris HaChazinish, and the letters of, of Rav Hutner, and all of the contemporary svarim, and all of the older svarim, and the, the Madregas Adam, all of these svarim were at my fingertips. And I loved living in that world of Emunah Bitachan because when you live in a world of Emunah Bitachan, you are bulletproof. You're Superman. No one can touch you. No one, there's no fear. Everything that you do is fine. You know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with you. You know that all your mezainas, all of your income is katsov, mirash shanad, yamikipurim, whatever you're supposed to make this year is already pre-assigned. You just have to do some ishtadlas. You don't have to do too much ishtadlas. Too much ishtadlas is no good either. Too little ishtadlas isn't good either. But you've got to find the right amount. Just do it and be saimech on Hashem. And you live in that world. People that live in that world are the happiest people in the world. When you're in Emunah Bitachan, no one can touch you. You have God on your side. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the richest being in the world. He's the Kainaka, we say every day in Shemun Esrei. He owns everything. He loves us. He's protecting us. We have Shosavis. We have our own Shosim. We have the Tyra. We have so much on our side. We have nothing to fear. The Briskarov once said that he married one of the wealthiest girls in Warsaw. He married a girl from Warsaw whose father was like a, you know, gazillionaire. And for his dowry, when, his, when he married his wife, so as a present, his shver gave him an entire block in Warsaw. Warsaw is basically the metropolitan, the, like the most metropolitan area of Eastern Europe at the time. 
So imagine if your shver for a chasna present gave you uh, a nice street in Manhattan, you know, 57th and Madison for a chasna present, mazel tov. You'd feel pretty good, right? You have the most expensive piece of real estate in Manhattan. You're set. You don't have to worry about parnas the rest of your life, the rest of your children's life, the rest of your... That's pretty much what the Riskarov had at the time. But he found that because he had um, all this wealth and all these properties to manage, he felt it was taking away from his learning, it was staring his, 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 his ability to concentrate on learning. So what he did was he hired an agent to look into selling all that property. And he sort of gave over to this agent, who I don't know how well he knew him, but he was a real estate agent, a Jew, whatever, and he signed him over like a power of attorney. You just take care of it, sell it, and let me know when it's over. Within that, a short amount of time, I think World War I broke out, and, uh, and everybody, you know, had to, every, the whole world was turned over, and the Briscoe didn't know what happened, you know, to this, to this broker. He didn't know what happened to it, but he came back, and he looked, he did some research, found that this broker had died, but before he had died, he had somehow transferred ownership from the Briskarov to, him, to, to himself. Basically, he took all the Briskarov's money. So Briskarov went from being one of the wealthiest Jews in the world to being poverty-stricken. He had nothing. That was all he had. And he was starting to get very agitated, as you can imagine. You think that you're worth, you know, $50 million, $100 million you haven't made. You could learn the rest of your life. And all of a sudden you realize you have nothing. That's a pretty heavy blow. So what did the Briskarov do? He said, I started learning Shara Bitach and Chavis Habavis. He said, that's all I had. I had nothing else. I had Shara Bitach and Chavis Habavis. And I said, I would chazer it, and I chazer it, and I chazer it. And it made me so happy. He says, and I realized that there's no one happier in the world. I used to think that having a, a, a block in Warsaw was a secret to happiness. And I realized that the only secret to happiness is having a munam bitachin. If you own, if you know the shahar bitachin, that's much more valuable than owning a square block of Manhattan. It is. But the problem is, and this happened to me, that when I was really in the thick of learning a munam bitachin, I was a superpower. I was like a superhero. I was able, I was so comfortable. I was so happy. I was walking with the Rabbi Nishlam. Everything was good. And then I sent the book to the printer and it went to China for a couple of months and, you know, once you write a book, now, you know, you're an expert in Emunah Bital. You don't need to learn anymore. You, you, you graduated. And I stopped learning about Emunah Bital. And every day, as days went on and days passed, I felt weaker in Emunah Bital and I started, getting, I started getting nervous again. You forget about Yosef, you forget about Amunah Mitochan, all of a sudden you're back in the soup again. You're nervous, you have anxieties, you have fears, you stay up at night, what am I going to do, what's going to be, how am I going to do this, how am I going to do that? And then when I got sick lately, the last three weeks, and I apologize that I haven't really been giving, you know, what I normally give, the Vaden and a lot of the Shmuz, and I, miss, I, just, I was so sick in bed, and those of you that reached out to me, I appreciate. And those that, you, that didn't, it's fine. But Baruch Hashem, I'm getting my strength back day, day by day. But I've never been rocked for this long in bed. And, and, like, and when you're in bed, your mind really goes crazy on you. But that, it just, it gets worse and worse. And the greatest thing that you could do, the anchor that you have in life, is to be able to take a sefer, a musr sefer on emunah bitachan and grab onto it and learn it like your life depends on it because that is the secret to happiness. There is no other way that a person can be happy and calm and relaxed in life without all these fears if you're not engaged in emunah bitachan. There's no other, you can have all the money in the world and you're still always nervous, always afraid, what's going to be tomorrow? Somebody's going to take my money away. This is what the Chavez speaks about. Shar Bitachan, he speaks about how a person that has a Munam Bitachan is so happy. Much happier is he than a person, he, he talks about a um, person who has the ability to make metal into gold. They used to call an alchemist. 
An alchemist is somebody that had, it's not true, but a person who, who supposedly has the ability to take a regular piece of metal, a cheap piece of metal, and turn it chemically into gold. Like on the bottom of the Arskil Chavis Halavas, he says, you know, a more modern example would be somebody that has a counterfeit uh, printing press in his basement. So you think, wow, that guy's really lucky. He has like an ATM machine in his basement. He can just bump out as much money as he wants. He's a happy man. But he says no, because that person, he, gives like, he always gives like 10 reasons why it's not true, because he's always afraid, like the counterfeiter is always afraid, like, you know, they're going to bust me. You know, the police are going to come in any minute. They're going to find me out. Or people, somebody's going to snitch on me. Or maybe the, the quality of the paper is not good. Or maybe, uh, you know, somebody is going to want to kill me to get the secret or whatever. They're always afraid. So even if you have the ability, you have the ability to be the wealthiest man in the world. You might have nursing homes. You might have great real estate. You might have you know, a great profession. You're still always going to be nervous and you're not as happy or you can't be happy unless you have the peace of mind that comes with the Muna and Bitachan, with the Yasef. You have to walk through your life with Yasef at Tzadik. If you forget about Yasef, then that's power. Power wants us always to forget about Yasef and to try to do it on your own. No, you don't need Yasef. Just get a good career. Get a good profession going and you're set. Marry a rich girl. Do this and that. And then you'll be happy. It's baloney. You're not. Happiness can only come for a, from a Yid if you're living with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when you're living with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even if you have no money, you're the richest man in the world. And if you're not living with Rabbi Islam, you could be the richest person in the world, and you're miserable, and you're poor. We see this in this week's parsha. It says that, Vatesatzav achesei meirachek ledea mayikraloi. Miriam Hanavia, she has a little baby brother, Meishu she puts him after three months uh, they're afraid they're going to be found, so she puts him in a little basket, she sets him out in the, in the yar, in the river, and she stands there to wait to see what will be with him. I want to know what's going to happen. What does that mean, what's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? There's a story with the Telzerav. The Telzerav was the great leader of the Tel's community and yeshiva in Lithuania. A brilliant man, or Blazer Gordon, his name was. Very handsome, very... Uh, uh, the Gadladar. And there was a devastating fire in the early 1900s in the city of Tels. And he needed to go and raise desperately needed funds to rebuild his city. So he went to London. London was, you know financial capital of the world at the time, he thought that he'd be able to go and find Yidden and they would give him as much money as he needed, but it didn't work out that way. He went to London and they weren't mechabedim, they didn't give him so much daracharetz, they didn't know maybe who he was, but he went into a shul and he says, I need to make an appeal for uh, my community and they said, no, 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 we don't, we don't like these, you know, we're not interested in making appeals, you need this, you need formants, you need documents, they were very, very... So he, he said to the guy, just please, he says, all right, I'll give you five minutes, but after five minutes, we're going to like physically remove you from the stage, from the bima. You get five minutes and that's it. This is, you're talking to the Telzerov. So he gets up and he says this pasuk. He says that his sister stood and waited to see what would be with Meisha. He says, what do you mean what would be with Meisha Rabbeinu? She was a prophetess. She knew that Meisha Rabbeinu was going to be the Meishi in Shal Yisrael. So what was she waiting to see? And he said, I'll tell you what she was waiting to see. She knew that he was going to survive. She didn't have a doubt in her mind. She knew, based on her kayach ha that this would be the Mashiach Shal Yisrael. Her brother is going to be Mashiach Rabbeinu, the Mashiach Shal Yisrael, the Gael Yisrael. He was going to take Kalei Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. That's not what was in doubt for her. The only question that she had, as she was standing behind the brush, waiting to see how the, un- the events would unfold, I want to just see who's going to be Zaycha to be the one to save my Shrabbeinu. I have no doubt that he will be saved. I'm a thousand percent sure. I'm not thinking that he's going to starve to death in that, in that little ark and he's going to just drown or something. I know he's going to survive. I want to see who's going to be the one to step up to the plate and be Zaycha to save him. 
And with this, the Talzerov says, I know that my community and my yeshiva is going to survive because Taira is eternal. Taira is nitzchi. I have no doubt in my mind. I'm coming here to London just to see who will be able to be zaycha to save my yeshiva. Who's going to be that person, that baspare that could come to the R and save the Maishra Rabbeinu, save Klai Yisrael, save the Taira? Who that? That's what I'm concerned about. That's what I'm waiting to see. I know that I don't need you, but who of you will be zaycha to help me? I don't know how well that appeal went, but I could tell you that the Talzarov died on that trip to England. He was so upset about the fact that he wasn't able to get people galvanized to help his yeshiva and his community. And he's buried to this day. Adayim, you go to, there's a cemetery in England, and they built him a nice aisle, and they have a big plaque about how great the honorable rabbi from Tells is, but in the end, you know, the, the, it wasn't so pushed the way they treated him. But the Talzarov is telling us a lesson in the Chavetz Chaim. If you look in the Chavetz Chaim also on this passage, he says, you always have to be assured that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will save you. Whenever we have an issue in life, so many of us have issues and we're worried, what's going to be? What's going to be? There's so many issues. What's going to be with Parnassah? What's going to be with Shidduchim? People call me all the time, they have a daughter that's 28, they have a daughter that's 32. What's going to be? How am I going to do? Where, where are the boys going to come from for her? You have Parnassah issues, you have tuition issues, you have uh, camp issues, you have. Yeah, there's so many issues in life. As you get older, the issues balloon. You have to always have confidence. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will save. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Mashiach. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I have full confidence. I have Amuna and Bitachan in you. Everything is you. Everything is going to be good because of you. No matter what the tzara is, you always have to have a munak in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will save you. It's just a matter of waiting and being patient until that time comes. You have to be patient. A lot of times it doesn't happen in real time. A lot of times we're waiting for that Yeshua to happen now, and it doesn't happen right now. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not operate the way we do. We do. If you come to me and you have a need, and Rabbi, it's an emergency, I'm going to try everything I can to do it in real time. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't operate always that way. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sometimes takes his time. It takes time for the right shidduch to come along. It takes time for the right business to come along. It takes time for the right opportunity to come along. It takes time for the right, uh, for, for the right wife, the right, the right, for the child to be born. Whatever it is at your stage of life that's haunting you, you have to have a munamitach and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. One of my favorite stories is... Rav Shimshim Pincus, we know is, you know, unbelievable gadol, his are super popular Hebrew, and now they translated them to English. One of his most famous sarm is Sharm speaking about the amazing different nuances of tefillah. When he was a young boy, he grew up in America, believe it or not. You know, gadol of that caliber, you think is, you know, probably was born in Europe, in Eretz Israel, he was born in America, he grew up in Brooklyn, he spoke a fluent English, and when he was a little, little boy, his father was going to learn in Beis Medrash on Shavuos night. And, you know, like many little boys, they want to come with their, with their fathers to learn Shavuos night. It's nice, you go, you learn, you eat. You... And, but his father felt he was too young. It happens every time you have a, you know, if you have a young child, it's always going to be that friction about, should I take him? Should I, I don't want to be stuck in, in, you know, he's going to be falling asleep, he's going to be... So his father says, maybe next year, Shimshin, I don't think you're ready, stay here, and, uh, and he was very upset, very, very upset, and he was all dressed and ready to go, little Pincus, little Shimshin Pincus, and uh, his father just, he looked back as he was about to walk out to the base medrash, and he sees him sitting on the steps, and he says, I'm going, you know, just go to sleep, not going to happen this year. And so Rapinkas' father went to the Spanish, he opened up his Gemara, he started learning, but he was haunted. Like he, he kept trying to sit and learn, but every time he sat and learned, tried to sit and learn, he, he remembered that face. Nebuch, like he just wanted to learn this little Shimshon, he just wanted to come and learn, and learn with me. How could I leave him at home? It's Shavuos night, it's Kabbalah Satira. He didn't know what to do, he was already in Shul, 
should he go back for him? Not. He says, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk back home, and hopefully he'll be sleeping, and then it's not an issue. If he's up, then I'll take him. So he walks home, and he opens up the door, and his son gets up as soon as he sees him. He's still all dressed and ready to go. He says, Tati, can we go now? This is like an hour and a half after he had left. He says, he says, why are you still up? He says, I told you that I was leaving. That He says, he says I know, but I, I knew that you would come back. He says, how did you know that I was going to come back? He says, because I davened. He says, I davened that you'd come back. I knew that you would come back. It was pasha to me that you would come back if I davened. That's the future Shar and Betfilah. He was the one that wrote the Shar and Betfilah because he understood the power of Tfilah, the power of believing in the Rabbi Shalom, which is really what Tfilah is. We have to always be standing ready for the Yeshua. Whatever the Yeshua is, you have to always believe. can never give up hope. Whether it's a personal Yeshua that you need, as far-fetched as it seems that it's going to have a happy ending, so many times in life, things have a happy ending. So many times in life, the sorrow that you have today, you're going to look back in five years from now, maybe in three years from now, and you're not even going to remember the sorrow that you have today. You might have new tzaras, you might have no tzaras in Mitz Hashem, but the tzaras that you have today are not going to be relevant. So far, you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a great track record. It's not to say that every single tzara is always resolved, but many, many are. But you just have to have patience. You have to understand that the Baruch Hu is here for us. We're entering into this Sefer of Shemais, the Sefer HaGolot Svagu'ula, and it, it has to fill us with the Amunah and the Bitachan that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is here for us. There's Hashkach HaPratis. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us. He takes care of us. And... And the more faith that we have in him, the happier we'll be. It's the only thing we have. We don't have anything else. Without HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we have nothing. People try to run away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They think that they can fix everything on their own. It doesn't work. You always run back to the Rabbi Nishalem. Rabbi Nishalem is the one anchor, the one true amud that we have to latch onto. And he will be able to be Mashiach from all of our own personal Goliaths. And the way to not forget Yasef, as we said before, and this is very, very important, is to learn Svarim about Amunah and Bitachin. The greatest Sefer ever written on Amunah and Bitachin is, is the Shar Bitachin by the Chavis Havavis. And he writes there so clearly, just start it, learn it every single day, just drink it in, and you'll be so happy. In the, uh, in the Madrega Sa'adam, the Alta Fenavardik has a chapter about Bitachin that's also solid gold. I started learning it the other day. Somebody told me they recommended it, and I hazarded it, and it's unbelievable. He's so clear how everything is exact. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has an exact cheshbon, and don't make yourself crazy over things. Stop worrying so much about everything. HaKadosh Baruch will solve everything. Just have pitach and amun on him. It's very, very important to keep an amuna and bitach in journal. In the back of my book, this new book that I came out with, I put a good section of it is, is an amuna and bitach in journal that you should write your own notes. Keep your own ledger of amuna bitach and things that you had in your life. When you write things down, they stay. We know all the time how Kaddish Baruch Hu sends us messages. He sends us personal kisses. Reminds us that he loves us. Reminds us that he's here for us. He cares about us. He didn't forget about us. Sometimes it might be a sign that we see. Sometimes it might be a, a phone call from somebody that we didn't hear from in a long time. All of a sudden they call and they give us chizik at a moment that we needed it. It happens all the time. It happens to me daily. But you forget about it. Why? Because you don't write it down. Ramesha Feinstein, or Yaakov Kamenetsky wrote a letter, an open letter. They said everybody should keep an Amunah and Bitachin journal. Because when you do that, you're able to really fortify your Amunah and remind yourself 
that this is me. I don't, it's not just a, a, a Musr Sefer. It's my own Sefer that I'm writing. It's my own Amuna that I see with my own eyes. I was supposed to be in Eretz Yisrael the past week. This, I was supposed to come back this morning. A week ago, I was supposed to leave uh, to recruit in yeshiva. I was going to take one of my daughters with me. She wanted to visit her friends there, and I, I promised her that I would take her, and we were going to go together. But I was so sick, I couldn't even dream about getting out of bed, let alone you know, going across the seas. I just couldn't. So can't, I postponed the trip to whenever. I have no idea when. And I was upset. My daughter was very disappointed. You know, we wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael, looking forward to it. We're going to have a great time together. I have a son learning there. I haven't seen him in a long time. And uh, it was going to be a beautiful trip. But I had a hunch that I would understand why it was happening this way. I just needed to give it time. And it's been a week. And within a week, I saw about at least seven, eight reasons that it was clear to me why I didn't go to Eretz Yisrael. I could tell you some of them if you're interested. I mean, but this is my I'm going to be talking journal. I'm just sharing, I'm just opening up a little curtain just for us all to understand how it's, I'm not different than anyone else. It happens there. You just have to notice these things, and you have to see things through an amunam bitachan eye. I'll give you one example. My daughter had a had an interview to go go to seminary mitzvah next year, so she was told that the seminary that she wanted to go to um, would be interviewing in a few weeks from today. Now, it turns out that that was all changed, and her interview actually was this past Sunday, which is when she was supposed to be in Eretz Yisrael. Had she been in Eretz Yisrael, I don't know how that would have flown like to explain to the seminary that she took off for a week in the middle of her, of her high school year you know, just to stop to go to Eretz Yisrael. Wouldn't have looked very good. I don't know if she would have gotten in or not, but imagine how upset she would be in Eretz Yisrael knowing that she's missing her interview to seminary, which is like a huge deal, um, you know, because she's sitting in Israel instead of being in America. That alone was enough emunabitachan to understand a little bit of why it happened. But there was so many other you know, reasons, one after another. I'll tell you another reason. My, my sewer like, exploded two days ago, two, three days ago. Like there, without getting into details, I have to be busy with it a very long time. No one else in my house would be able to understand even what to do in that circumstance. So imagine if I would have been there at Israel, and my wife is telling me, okay, the whole, you know, the basement is full of sewage. You know, what should I do? And I'm sitting in Eretz Yisrael, you know, going to Kevarachal that day. Like, wh- how would that fly? And plus, I, I, I got, my sickness took a turn for the worse. I would have been sitting in Eretz Yisrael, like sick as a dog, being there, trying to speak to different yeshivas, and, and it wouldn't be going. Plus, 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 there are things I can't even talk about in Paravim. But that's how Kaddish Baruch Hu runs the world. Whenever you see something that seems to be, you know, so bad, like, how can you, don't put a good spin on it, you blew it. You were supposed to go to Eretz Yisrael, and you didn't get a chance to go to Eretz Yisrael. You could be upset, you could be, you could, you know, have tainus, good. You could do whatever you want in life, it's a free country. But people that are real maminim, and I'm not one of them, but people that are real maminim, understand that everything that happens in life is so good. It's so good. You just have to really trust that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Avarachamim, knows what's best for us. And this is true for everything. I don't care. You could throw anything at me, except maybe a few things that I, I can't explain. I can't explain, you know, I, I can't explain certain things, you know, that's, you know, certain things are way above my pay grade. You're going to ask me about you know, about things that I can't explain. But there are certain things, whether it's a shidduch that you thought was supposed to happen and, you know, and you were so excited and the girl said no, and I'm telling you that if the girl said no, that you should make a kiddush on Shabbos because it meant that it wasn't for you. It might, you might have thought it was for you, she might have seemed perfect to you, but for whatever reason, it was not for you, and you should make a kiddush. If you would know what you, the bullet that you dodged, you would make the biggest kiddush on, on Shabbos. And the same thing is true for everything. You lost a job 
or you didn't get the internship, you didn't get into the school that you thought you, thought you would do better in finals, whatever it is, throw it all at me, I could swat it away. If I was a Maimon, if I was a real Maimon, I would tell you, just laugh it off because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if he would want it to happen, it would have happened. If he doesn't want it to happen, it won't happen. And everything is good. Somebody once came to the Chavetz Chaim and said to the Chavetz Chaim, the Chavetz Chaim says, how are you doing? He says, it's Ken Zayn Besser. Could be better. Chavetz Chaim says, you're not allowed to say that. He says, if it could have been better, the Rabbani Shalom would have made it better. If the Rabbani Shalom didn't make it better, that means that what you're in right now is the best possible situation for you right now. But how do you understand that? It's, I'm going through a, a very hard time. I know you are. I know you're going through a hard time. But the Rabbani Shalom has decided that this is what you need to go through right now, and you will... If you're strong and you fortify yourself with Amun and Bitachan, you will be the happiest person. You will gain from the experience. You will grow from the experience. You will get stronger. You will become more, more wholesome. More Tam Hashem The Amun and Bitachan will fill you. But you have to bring it in. You have to allow HaKadosh Baruch Hu to live with you, to walk with you. Follow him. Don't lead him. Don't think that you're in control and you know better. Just do your established. Obviously, you feel that this is what you want to do. You do it. We don't know in life what's good and what's bad. But when things don't go our way, when we thought we had all the plans perfectly laid out and something really got messed up and it didn't work out the way we thought it would and we get mad at God, we get mad at everything, we get mad at Yiddish guy, we want to throw it all away, just stop. And recognize the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves you. And recognize the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a kol yachol. If he would have wanted it to happen, it would have happened. If it didn't happen, that means that for whatever reason, it's disappointing, it's crushing. But if it happens this way, that is the most perfect way that it could have ever been. Don't let the power inside allow us to forget Yosef. Hara just wants to forget about Yosef, forget Amunah, just live your own life. What are you worried about God for? Just do your own thing. That's the worst mistake that we can make. The greatest legacy that we could have for ourselves, for our wives, for our family, for our community, for our yeshiva, is being Anshe Kaidish, being people that live with the Rabbi that walk with the Rabbi that have such Amunah and such Bitachin, that no matter what we're going through in life, we're strong. Imagine a life like that. Imagine a life that no matter what happens, no matter what the threats are, mi bayis mi bachutz, we're able to be strong. People are going through so much in this world today. We're so fortunate. You know, people going back to Ukraine, people are displaced from their homes. It's freezing. They have no the energy. Russia bombed all their energy, all their heat. They're suffering. Their communities have been destroyed, decimated. People have real tsaris in the world. And many of us have tsaris in our own lives in different ways. Maybe not as, as dramatic, but also very, 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 stri- very, very difficult times that we're living in today. We could still be happy. We always have the ability to be happy. Even when I'm walking in the valley of death, I'm never going to fear any evil because you are with me, HaKadosh Baruch As long as you're with me, as long as we're, we're together on the road, hand in hand, we're strong. We have HaKadosh Baruch We have the Chavis HaBavis. We have everything that we need. We have Yasef. Don't give up Yasef. Don't allow power to come in and, and, and convince us that we don't need Yasef, that we have amnesia about Yasef, that we could do without Yasef. Hemanti ki adaber. say that the more I talk about Amuna, the more my Amuna gets stronger. Talk about Amuna. Tell people about your stories. 
tell people, you know, I was this, I was about to do that, but then this happened, and, and thank God this happened, because if not for that, you know, talk about it. You, you have the, everybody has these stories. You just have to have eyes that are open and receptive to understanding these stories, to seeing how, you know, because I missed the bus, or because I, I didn't go here, I ended up going there, and because of that, this happened, that happened. That's how life works. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's amazing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has billions and billions of people to worry about, and every single person in the, in, the, in the whole world, he's busy with. And he's able to make people's paths cross at certain times, at certain intersections, in order to help both people at the same time. Amazing. It's an amazing world we're living in. And the same intricate detail that HaKadosh put in to every amoeba, every cell, every membrane, every, every drop of blood, how much brilliance is there, HaKadosh has that same power with every single day of our life, every moment of every day, every interaction, every fear, every, every concern. HaKadosh is there. HaKadosh loves us. He's concerned about us. And He's putting us through challenges, we could overcome them. And we will overcome them. But don't forget Yasef. Keep Yasef with us. And make sure, Mitz Hashem, that Kadesh stays with us, that we speak about him, we learn about him, we, we surround ourselves with him and with people that are also Balayamuna. And the more we do, there's no greater. Besides for learning Gemara, there's no greater way of spending your Ben Azmanim than to learn Svarim about Amunam Whatever appeals to you, if it's a Hasidish Sefer on Amunam Bitachin, if it's a Litvish Sefer, if it's Chavis Halavis, if it's, if it's uh, Madregas Adam, whatever appeals to you, just find it. could be an English Sefer. There's so many great English Svarim out there today, you know, living, uh, living Amuna, millions of stories about Amunam These are great stories. You didn't have these years ago. It's huge today, Amunah Bitachan. Garden of, uh, Garden of, uh, what's it called? Garden of, Fe- Garden of Amunah. So many great svarim out there. Take advantage of them. Get them. Buy them. Own them. Read them. Study them. Go to sleep with them. So much Amunah. You can never get enough Amunah to fill your tank up with Amunah. That's the greatest blessing of happiness that you could take in. Everyone should have a beautiful Bein Azmanim. Should, uh, if you're going home, if you're traveling, please get home safely. Know that we're looking forward to excitingly starting a new Zman, hopefully. My personal uh, Vaden and Shmuzen and, and Shabbos and Yon, whatever will be back on schedule. If you could daven for me a little bit, I would appreciate that. Maisha ben Kayla, still need a refuah shlema, as is so many others. But know that we love you. Know that we're proud of you. And know that everything that you have in life, you can transcend. But you have to have Yasef. You have to have the Kayach of Amuna, the Kayach of Itachen, and get as close to the Rabbi Nisham as you possibly can. And without that, we have nothing. But with that, we have everything. Thank you.